At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We're glad you're here as we turn to the book of Genesis for our newest series, Family, Why Bother? In the pages of Genesis, we'll discover all kinds of hurting relationships that prove families have been dysfunctional from the very beginning. Join us as we uncover the only one who can renew and restore our broken families. Well, good morning, Woodside. How's everybody doing this morning? Travis Jewell, one of the on the teaching team here at Woodside, and we welcome you. If you go ahead and turn in your Bibles, go ahead and turn to uh, the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible. And um, if you don't have a copy of God's Word, the, the Scripture is going to be on the screen. But as you're turning to Genesis chapter 2, which is going to be our focus, because uh, we just started a brand new series last week, Family, Why Bother? kind of want to think about this, the heaviness of this weekend, right? Uh, I mean, you don't even have to be a Christian to know that there's something wrong in this world. There's brokenness. And it doesn't take very long to, to realize that. Whether it was not the 1,300,000 that Brad mentioned earlier that they gave their lives, as President Lincoln said, they gave their last full measure of devotion. And so some of you may have brothers, sisters, a mom or dad, a friend, right? We also think about those of our, our, even our first responders and our police and fire who give their lives. Think about everything that happened during 9-11, terrorist attack, World War II, conflict going on right now in Ukraine, what happened in Texas. And see, it's not about guns. It's about the human heart. See, the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Matt Chandler, in his book, Recovering Redemption, mentions this. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, To guard your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. So this is Family Sunday. So I was thinking, okay, what can I say that's going to engage everybody? That's why I have props. And so as I'm talking through the sermon, I'm going to be bringing props up. So kids, i got things for everybody. So no matter what age you are, I'm going to hopefully hit everybody in a way that helps you understand what Jesus wants you to get out of today's message from his word. Because we're talking about relationship conflicts. You see, long before something happens in our life, it happens with our heart. Long before something comes out of our mouth or something comes forth from our hands, it starts in our heart. We're continuing our sermon series as we've titled Family, Why Bother? And in this series, we are exploring the book of Genesis. We learn much about God's original design and purpose for the family. I think it's kind of fitting we're here at Family Sunday, right? And by the extension, we also see relationships in our lives at work, at school, and in our neighborhood and community. We're going to see the first family conflict right here in Genesis 3. Like I said, long before something happens in our life, it happens in our heart. We're going to see what happens when sin enters the world in the first family and how that one act of sin literally caused corruption for the rest of humanity. Not only separating us from a holy God through a personal love relationship, but our relationship with others. And you may be sitting here this morning going, man, I am struggling in my relationships right now, Travis. I'm struggling in my marriage. I'm struggling with my relationships with my siblings. I haven't talked to some of them in a while. I've got somebody at work that I'm really at angst with or somebody in my community. There's people in my lives that I have not talked to. 
and you think, how can somebody say for better or for worse and stand up here at an altar giving their vows, and then all of a sudden you feel like your relationship is a living garbage dump. You literally feel like it is a dumpster fire waiting to explode. How did we get here? How did we get here? Divorce is on the rise, so much relationship conflict, war, famine, disease, and it starts right here. We're going to see how it starts. So I'm going to kind of build the sermon, kind of giving the, re- the problem right here, and we're going to talk about a solution at the end. So hang tight with me. Which really leads us up to the big idea that we, you, were made for community. But sin separates us. Sin just leads to all kinds of hot mess. See, so what happens is it's separating us not only from God, from each other. And that sin sinks deep in our hearts, and it's really hard to get out. There's only one way for that to be reconciled. We're going to talk about that. But well, here's the problem. It's often easy to see the brokenness in other people. It's other people's fault. It's a lack of education, poor choices, the way they were raised. Is that really it, though? It has to be more than just poor choices and lack of resources and education and how we were raised. It's, it's more than just a breakdown of the family structure. Like I said before, the heart of the problem is the problem of my heart. Jesus said that a house divided cannot stand. And so, when in the original story, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, and God joins them together, making sure our Facebook folks welcome if you're watching online. So I want to make sure you all can see this too. So we're welcome if you're checking us out online. Can you see it? Is it good there? Good to go. Thank you. And so we think about that. How does the enemy, which his mission is to steal, kill, and destroy John 10.10? His mission in life, that's his mission. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to kill your testimony. He wants to make you feel like you are a big, fat liar and hypocrite. Go to church. Sing your songs. Sing your praises about the goodness of God. And then go talk about your spouse and your friends when you get home on Facebook. So God, what we find in the creation account, he creates man in the wilderness. He creates woman for man in the garden. So this is going to represent the garden in our account we're going to be reading about in Genesis 2. Do you know that we live in an age of perpetual offense? Think about that. Everybody gets offended about everything. Before you put something on social media, you've got to think and pray for 20 minutes. Who am I going to offend? If I send this text message, if I send this email, who's going to be reading it? I mean, let's just say, by show of hands right now, how many would you say that I'm a person who gets easily offended? Don't raise your hand. Because <laughs> I might offend you, right? Now, what do I mean by that? And we as Christians or who claim to be Christ followers, we're some of the worst people who get offended. Why do you think we have so many denominations and so many different versions? Because we, we, we get so caught up on things that maybe are not as important. And I guarantee you, one of these days when we all stand before God, it's going to be a big shock. The things that I got so bent around the axle, he's going to say, why would you worry about those things? And the things that I wasn't concerned about, he's like, why weren't you worried about those things? Why weren't you? Sometimes I think we've forgotten our first love, love for God. 
and love for each other. And we can't love each other until we have received God's love for us. And that's what happened. God had given this love to Adam and Eve. I mean, let's be honest. We, we are relate this, this Christianity that we, that this relationship with God is literally built around the idea of offense towards somebody who did not count our offenses toward him, against us. He literally said to Telestai, it is finished. Father, forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing. And the Bible says, while we were still yet sinners offending him, Christ died for us. He died for you, for all your offenses. He didn't hold it against you. See, there's a disease that has corrupted all of us, folks, and it's destroying our relationships. You know why it's so hard for us to be happy, based on what the world says? Because we're so easily offended. Because we are basing our happiness, which is based on happenings, on circumstances, rather than the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. See, the enemy wants to steal your joy, which is based on our identity when it's found in Christ. And when we have our identity in Christ turned away and look toward our circumstances, that's where he wants to get us all stirred up. We put our, we put our love in these functional saviors, these idols. We are idol-making machines, people. We will find something or someone to worship. Either significance, comfort, or control. And here's what's happening right here. It's happening in relationships. We're going to see how it happens with Adam and Eve. So let me ask you a question. How can we experience reconciliation, healing in our broken relationships, in your broken relationship, maybe right now, with all the pain going on, all the corruption? Well, the the book of Genesis gives us a great uh, uh, playbook of how this is going to happen. So let's go to Genesis chapter 2. What's happening in Genesis 2, it's giving us a more detailed description, kind of a a micro level of the creation account than Genesis 1. So if you get to Genesis 2 verse 7, then the Bible says, Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath or ruah, which literally means spirit, the breath of life. Here, Adam was a corpse. He was, he was basically just a, a shell. And then God gets down in him, and he breathes the ruah of life. He is now a living creature, the Bible says. And after God creates Adam, it says in verse 18, Genesis 2:18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. So the first human opens his eyes, and for the very first time, he sees his creator, God the Father. That is what we were created for, folks. First, a relationship with God. Not religion. Not power, control, significance. See, when our identity is found in who he says we are because he created us. Imago Deo. We are image bearers of God. We are created in his image. First, with a relationship with him. Look at verse 8, chapter 2. It says, the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. This is going to symbolize our garden. Sorry, I don't have any cool flowers. Um, we just kind of visualize children. So, okay. And so he, puts, he, he planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Now, notice something. Notice that man was not created in the garden, but rather where? The wilderness, right? God, we're going to see here in just a little bit, he creates the woman Where? In the garden. Now, some of you may be having a light bulb going off right now. Aha! That should make something like, oh my goodness, men and women are not the same. Right? We were created in different places, different places for a specific purpose that God gives 
for our good and his glory. You know, I think about my children, my seven kids, four boys and three girls. Nathan's almost 17. He's going to turn 17 on June 4th, so looking forward to Man Day. Whoop, whoop, Man Day next Saturday. Okay, so he's going to be turning uh, uh, 17. He took his driver's test. He's driving on his own. Please pray for us. <clears throat> and uh, he's going to Kroger now. I love you, son. So, and so he's doing great. But then I got all, you know, I've got all kinds of ages of children. I think about some of my kids, man, my son, uh, Nehemiah, he'll take a pine gun, and he'll think it is a daggum grenade, like a little Marine, right? But some of my children, they just think it's like something they play with. See, they just were wired differently. That's how kids are. And when you get to Genesis 2.15 and following, I want you to notice something. Particularly about this section, Pastor Joby Martin, Church 1122, when he uh, talked about this series in our men's series that we did this spring, Act Like Men, he specifically mentions this part here about what God's purpose was for man. Well, three things. He says <clears throat> that Adam is given three things under the context of one banner, work to enjoy, a, a woman to love, and a will to obey, all under the context banner of worship. Okay, now you can put in there relationships to love too. Let's say you're single. Okay, just relationship. We're created for relationships. Look at Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. God invites us to be co-creators with him, to take the raw goods of what God has given us. And remember what Pastor Billy mentioned last week? To, to cultivate, to subdue, to have dominion. Remember? Remember he said that last week, right? Uh, to really be a good steward of the resources God's given us. What are you doing with the skills, talents, time, and resources that God has given you? Whether you're 8 years old or 80 years old. What are you doing with what God's given you? In Genesis 1, God mentions that creation was good. He mentions it actually seven times. But now in Genesis 2.18, he says what? It is not good that man be alone. It's almost kind of like a record scratch. I want you to pay attention to this because this is important. The Lord God said it is not good that man be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. In other words, we were made for community, folks. We were not meant to just be in isolation, reclusive, right? And I'm not just talking about in marriage relationship. I'm talking about relationships, period, first with God and then with other people. So whether you're married or not, this is going to be relevant for all of us. So in the next few verses, God works to remedy this not good situation. Look at verse 20. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was no helper fit for him. Basically, he's naming all the animals, you know, rhinoceros, hippopotamus, and then finally he's going kind of like rat, cat, whatever, right? And he's like, all of a sudden, here comes woman, right? And we're going to find out how that happens. He's going to be put to sleep in verse 21, right? And while he's sleeping, God's going to take a rib from him and close it up in the flesh, right? And then in verse 22, the Lord God had taken uh, from the man he had made into a woman and brought her to the man, right? And so all of a sudden, he goes, oh, wow, woman, which literally means mine. He's looking around and seeing all these animals like, I don't know about that. Whoa, that's kind of weird. And all of a sudden, he's, he's a woman. He's like, whoa, hallelujah, praise the Lord, right? And it's good. It's a good thing. And he goes, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. That was God's design. You see, God brings husband and wife together to join them. You know what? To, to take the two and become one. You know what the enemy wants to do? He wants to take the one and become two. That's his mission. That's his mission to steal, kill, and destroy. So how does he do that? How does he do that? Remember I told you we're easily offended? I mean, just... 
any little thing just offends us these days. Jesus talks about, you know, before you talk about the plank in somebody else's eye, you need to get the, I mean, the, the speck in somebody else's eye, you need to get the plank out of yours. And so here we are, we're just walking through life. Don't worry, I'm not going to hit anybody. We're just walking through life and we're just smacking people upside the head with our big old plank. Just smack, smack, smack. Look at you. Look what you've done to me. Look how you disrespected me. Look how you hurt me. Look how you, I don't feel loved. I don't feel valued. I don't feel seen and hurt. And bam, bam. And here we are with this big old plank, just, just smacking up people side of the head. <clears throat> and you know what the enemy wants to do? He wants to take this good, beautiful garden that God has created for us in community with a relationship with him and others. And you know how he divides us? One offense at a time. He drives it in there really deep. She wasn't listening to you. She doesn't respect you. She doesn't value you. You deserve better than this. Oh, yeah, that's right. I do. You just drop really deep, and then you remember everything they said or did, and you just relive it. You fester it. You let it just sit, and it becomes bitterness and unforgiveness and unmet expectations, which is the breeding ground for anger. So how do we reconcile this? Well, what we see here is not the end of the story. Look at verse 23. The man said, this is at last, the bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from man. Verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. Remember that. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. See, whenever you, whether you got married or not, we were made for friendships, companionships, to, to be vulnerable and honest, to be, I'm not going to be judged. I'm not going to be, you know, looked at a certain way because I'm going to be valued for who I am, not for what I do for you. But here, we see it getting messed up. You see, Adam and Eve leave and cleave, and then they're naked and unashamed. Married, and then they're naked and unashamed. However, today's culture is just the opposite. People hook up, shack up, break up. They, they, they do things that they're not supposed to do. Then they get married. Then there's lots of shame. And we value, like, okay, so how does, how does this work in the context? Well, we were made for a community through worship, but sin separates us. And we're going to see this play out in the very next chapter. Everything's going great for one chapter in the Bible. One chapter. Can't you get it together, Abney? What is going on here? Well, we're going to find out because we all relate to this. I relate to this. Every one of us does. So how do we experience healing in relationships? If you're taking notes, number one, listen to the truth of God's voice. Look at verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, oh, sorry, I said, he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, here we go. Here we, here's old Satan. Here's the enemy. And what do we call, what does the Bible call that Satan? He is the father of lies. He's a deceiver. He's a liar from the very beginning. This is how the enemy starts out. He wants us to believe our doubts and doubt our beliefs. Did God really say that? I mean, come on. I mean, really? He's just kind of holding out on you. And so what happens? Well, Eve responds. Look at verse 2. And the woman said to him, <clears throat> said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, 
You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, here we go. Classic legalism right here. It's, it's God plus. Did God really say that they couldn't touch it? No. Took it out of context. Satan's taking the scripture out of context. She's taking the scripture out of context. She is not listening to the truth of God's voice. Now look at verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Basically, you would make a better God than he would. You, why don't you be in control and know what's best for you? He's holding out on you because he doesn't love you. He is not for you. He is against you. So take it into your own hands, just like Frank Sinatra's song, and do it my way. See, how do we know that God is a good father? The goodness of God? How do we know? The Bible says that he demonstrated his love for us. That while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Think about that. God is a good father who loves his children regardless of our current circumstances, relationships. When we listen to the truth of God's voice, which is found in his word... It changes everything because then our identity begins to be corrected in the right direction. Our identity is not found in what other people think about us. Our identity is found in who created us. Amen? And think about that. That should get you going when you feel like you're like, I'm getting kind of off kilter because these offenses are building up a barrier between my loved ones, between my friends and family. Look at verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that we would call this the lust of the flesh. Okay, now where does this come from? Well, 1 John 2.16 mentions this, this lust of flesh. 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is in the world. So that's kind of where we're seeing this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Now, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, okay, lust of the flesh, and, 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 and that it was a delight to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, pride of life. She took up fruit of it, and she ate, and she also gave to her husband, who was what? With her. Oh, snap. So, I mean, he wasn't out there. I mean, I always kind of picture, like, what, would, what was Adam doing during this time? I mean, it's Memorial Day. Some of you are going to be out there, maybe... Maybe, maybe you already killed some animal. You're going to be grilling some of the animal later on today. I don't know. Maybe he was killing and grilling or something out in the wilderness, but he wasn't. He was with her. You know the greatest tragedy that happened in the garden? It wasn't what Adam did. It's what Adam didn't do. He was not protecting his wife's heart. He was passive. He was lazy. And he let the enemy slip in there and whisper those lies to his wife. He should have been there protecting her, and he wasn't. Immediately after their marriage, everything shifts. And they start what? Well, Pastor Job had mentioned this in an Act Like Men series. He calls it duck cover and blame. That's kind of a classic man move, right? We want to shift the focus, right? I mean, hey, you know what? <clears throat> uh, I mean, you all kind of two messed things up a little bit here. And, you know, I'm going to be kind of hanging out over here. When you, when you kind of figure out who, who's, the, who's fault it is, just come let me know. I'll, let you, I'll, I'll, I'll forgive you maybe, right? That's kind of what happens. We, we, we shift the blame. What happened was Adam refused to trust God and protect his wife. Eve refused to trust God and lean on her husband. 
They both refuse to rely on God and keep the boundaries set for them. And this is where all this brokenness starts in your heart right here. We see it starting right here. This relationship's broken. It's fractured between them and God. They listen to the liar instead of listen to the truth of God's voice. Satan also tempted Jesus like this in the wilderness. Right before Jesus began his earthly ministry, he was tempted for 40 days. He was hungry. He was tired. And three different times Jesus was tempted by misquoted scripture verses from Satan. Each time. And each time Jesus combated that temptation by what? It is written. There's power in God's word. When we listen to the truth of God's voice, where Adam and Eve failed, Jesus did not. And that should be what we look to, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So number one, we listen to the truth of God's voice. Number two, for reconciliation, we set aside false ways of defending ourselves. Look at verses 7 through 13 of chapter 3. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, what's happening here? Well, religion's born, man-made religion. Whether it's the rebellion, you say, I can't have that. You're holding out on me, God. I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, with who I want to do it. Give me that fruit. It's mine. Or, God, I don't trust in your sons for my righteousness and for forgiveness. I got this. I'll cover my own shame and sin. I'll cover myself. I'll be in control. I'll make my own loincloth. That's religion. Look at verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. I mean, it's kind of like when your kids used to hide from you when they were little, little. And remember, I remember sometimes I've heard pastors say this many, many times. And the kid would get down like, okay, we're going to say hide and seek. I'm like, okay, are you ready? I'm hiding. And so, like, they're like this, right? They just kind of like, and then, like, the rest of their body is all out like this. And, like, where are you at? <laughs> Come on out. And I think that's kind of like what Adam and Eve was. We think we're covering ourselves. And God's like, do you not see what I see? You can't hide from me. I created everything. I know everything. I love you. And we're going to see God's mercy and grace demonstrated right here. The question you have to ask yourself, much like God asked them, is, where am I at? Where am I? What do you mean? I'm sitting in here and listening to you talk so we can go eat after this. No, 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 no. Where am I? Where am I with my life, with my relationship with God and others? What am I doing? Am I hiding? Am I running? In verse 10, God says, I, oh, I'm sorry, Adam says, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave me, she gave it to me, and I ate it. So this is your fault, God. Classic man move, duck cover blame, right? So here we go, okay? I mean... <laughs> I'm just minding my own business, okay? I'm over here trying to do some killing and grilling in the wilderness, and she's over here wanting to look at some fruits and stuff. And I'm just like, you know, uh, it's not my fault, right? What did I do? I didn't do anything wrong. I was just sitting here. And she comes in here, and she's over here. I mean, it's the woman you gave me. This is your fault, God. I mean, come on. I did nothing wrong. And the enemy's like, yeah, that's right. You didn't do anything wrong. God's holding out on you. This is all his fault. And it's a woman's fault, too. And you know, they can just figure it out. They can come back and apologize, and you can be ready for it. That's exactly where we're at today, though. 
And so what happens? He becomes the blamer. He, he, is it true that God gave uh, Eve to Adam? Yes. Is it true that she gave him fruit to eat? Yes. But you know what he's doing? He's hiding behind a false truth because the deeper truth is his own personal responsibility in it. It's easy to see the plank or the speck, I'm sorry, in somebody else's eye when you have a giant log hanging out of your... And you know what that log is made of? Tons and tons of little specks over a long period of time. I was trying to sand this down. I was like, man, there's a lot in this pine. But it's easy to come sheds off. Little bitty specks come together to make one big plank. So what does the woman do? Look at verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you've done? And she does the same thing. She learns from her husband. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Again, this is true. She was deceived by the serpent. Right? All this thing happened. But what's happening is now she is de- taking, she is basically defending herself and becoming the victim. Think about that in relationships. Somebody's the blamer, somebody's the victim. Well, if you hadn't have said so-and-so, I wouldn't have done this. And now the man blaming the blamer and the woman playing the victim, neither one of them are taking the, the responsibility for their own part. And the man points the finger at God, and it just keeps putting up one board after the other. What man, what God joined together, let no one put, a, put asunder. And what's happening is the enemy, how does he divide? One offense at a time. And over and over and over again, we see these offenses until finally we're like, oh, we are building a fence right now. Right? Right? And then he's hurt me and she's hurt me. You won't believe what she said. And we just keep piling on and holding it and holding it and holding it. They've offended us. They have, a, they have done an offense against us. You know the difference between offended and offense? An offense is something that happens to you, something that was said. But you know, it takes a decision to be offended. Jesus had every reason to be offended, but he didn't. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't even know what they're doing. But that's not what we do. I don't like the certain music in the church. I don't like the preaching or the teaching, the music or this or that. I just find something else. No, the devil's like, that's right. You need to be happy because your happiness is more important than anything else. And it ends up being a jacked up fence like that. Because <laughs> we're all jacked up. You did this, but I did this. Well, I apologized last time. And we're keeping record of wrongs. But what does 1 Corinthians 13 say? Love does not keep a record of wrong, but rejoices with the truth. But you don't understand how they hurt me. And I'm not talking about abuse. If you're in an abusive relationship, that's a different level. Emotional men. I'm not talking about that. So please hear me. That is sin and that is wrong. But I'm talking about just the daily relationships of life. Whether you're a kid or you're an adult, we all deal with offenses. Are you quick to criticize the other person? Are you willing to examine yourself? Do you spend most of your time remembering and talking about what they did wrong? Are you equally concerned about your responsibility? You see, the closer the relationship, the greater the opportunity for intimacy and offense. I mean, nobody can really get you like that one that's close to you, right? I love you. I love you. I love you. Oh, yes, yes, yes. It's like, but you won't, I mean, he doesn't treat me the way that I want him to, and you won't, but, but, and then all of a sudden these walls just keep getting more and more and more, and so finally, uh, uh, well, 
Well, I guess I'll take the trash out because you, you did it last time. Well, I guess I'll get up with the kids tonight because you've got to work and I'm staying at home because it's my job to take care of the kids. So you just go ahead and get your sleep because I'm not going to get any and I'll do it one more time and change the 40,000th diaper. That's right. They don't care about you. And all of a sudden, the wall is up. Hey, 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 honey. Uh, we, we haven't been out to eat in a long time together. Hey, honey. Um, we haven't been on a date in like seven years. Hey, honey. Are you still there? Don't talk to me! And so that's what happens. It's at school, social media. We talk about it. We text. We tweet. So if we're going to be able to work through relationship conflict, how do you do that? Number three, last least, we're taking notes. We'll close the plane. We're going to land it right here in the next few minutes. You and I have to receive the gracious provision of God. Look at Genesis 3.21. And the Lord God made for man Adam and for his wife garments of skin, and he clothed them. This is really the, uh, it's a first, really kind of a glimpse of what somebody else is going to do on the cross. If there would be only somebody whom we offended and had every right <coughs> to be offended, had every right to hold it against us, had every right to be offended and be divided. And, but yet he stood in the place for you, for me. And he stretched out his arms and he took our place. All the shame, all the guilt, all the pain, all the unforgiveness and the bitterness that you're holding to right now. Because here's the hard reality. Everybody's going to be saying amen and get, preach it, brother. But you know what you're going to have to deal with when you get home? Your relationships. That person sitting next to you, you are having a hard time even standing and staying in the same room with them. You loathe them, you hate them. And deep down inside, you probably hate yourself. But Jesus says, come to me all who are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. My question is for you, do you want rest? Do you want peace? Do you want peace? That surpasses all understanding. You can't handle what, you can't control what somebody gives you. That harsh word, that harsh act, what they didn't do. But you know what you can do? You can drop it. But you don't understand what they did to me. Jesus does. And he's there with you in the fire because there's another in the fire. Amen? Drop it. When they didn't forgive you, you may go, oh, I understand it's one thing to talk about forgiveness, but it's a whole other thing to talk about reconciliation, Travis. This person's not even in my life anymore. We're divorced. They're dead. You may never fully have that reconciliation the way you want to, this side of eternity, but you know what Jesus wants to give you? He wants to release that. I don't care where you're at. Single, married, divorced, Jesus wants to pull these roots out. And he wants to destroy everything the enemy has built up. And he wants you to 
cast it upon him. He wants you to drop it and lay it at the foot of the cross, amen? To lay it there, to have release, to have forgiveness for yourself because we can only truly forgive because we have received the forgiveness that he has given us. And for some of you in this room, you need to experience that today. My prayer for you is that you would receive the gracious provision of God for the first time, that you would receive healing. Because the Bible says, once the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. My question is, do you want to be free? I mean, who doesn't? I heard a pastor once say that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. But once you find out, you are the prisoner. And when, this, when you are set free, you find out that you have actually made yourself the prisoner. Jesus wants to set you free of that pain and unforgiveness. And you may never see that reconciliation this side of eternity, but he wants you to experience his love and forgiveness for you. Because somehow, believing in faith that when Jesus died on a cross, it counted for you. It counted for you. The good news is we don't have to cover up our shame like Adam and Eve did. On the cross, Jesus carried our burden and shame so that we could receive a new life and a secure identity found in him. And why is that important when it comes to relationship conflict? If we are secure in Christ, it doesn't matter what anybody does or says to us. We are not going to be rattled by that because our identity is found in Christ. Amen. I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads. You may be feeling this conflict right now going, Travis, that sounds great, but you don't understand my life. You don't understand what I'm going through right now. Right now my life is a, is a hot mess. And I am just struggling. And I just pray, God, right now that, that we would love each other with the same love you have loved each of us. Because on our own, apart from your provision, God, of grace of your spirit working in our hearts and minds, we cannot love each other completely, God, and we cannot be re reconciled through relationship conflict. I pray that from this day forward that we would be different because we, by faith, believe that what you did for us was real because you loved us. And that love is greater than those offenses. That love is greater than that unforgiveness, that pain, that suffering that we have received forgiveness by faith, we can rightly love one another and forgive those with the same strength that you have forgiven us with. And for those of us who've hurt someone, may you convict us of that sin, Lord, and we see the plank in our own eye and take responsibility and not duck, cover, and blame. James says, may we confess our sins to one another so that we may be healed. May we experience healing today. I pray all this in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.